0: We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene.
1: I'm Brian. I mean, Ben.
0: And tonight, we are looking at the Space 1999 episode. Brian the Brain. <laughs> 1,150 days after leaving Earth's orbit, the inhabitants of Moonbase Alpha have finally gotten around to uploading the data they've collected since leaving Earth into their computer. This leaves them mostly without computer during the process, and leaves Koenig as horny as a hoot owl in a brothel. And then, the moon's horizon changes. Whatever that means. Without computer, they don't really know what's going on, but it it might be a black dwarf. So... Koenig orders the immediate evacuation of all personnel from Alpha for reasons best left unexplained. It's it's not a black dwarf, though, it's just a Swift, an old-style Earth spaceship that has Jerry Lewis aboard. Actually, it's it's not really Jerry Lewis, but it might as well be. Actually, it's a computer soon to be named Brian the Brain from a lost Earth expedition. His crew is dead, and, and he's looking for new friends from Earth. He invites Helena to tour his body, which is the spaceship. Get your mind out of the gutter. Koenig tags along because, did I mention he's horny as a hoot owl? It turns out this was a ruse, and Brian abducts them while destroying the entire contents of Alpha's computer. Brian wants to return to the planet where his mothership is parked and steal its fuel. You see, he only has fuel for a few thousand years to live. And he wants to live forever. (laughs) But first, he needs to test Koenig and Helena's love for one another. Tony does something clever for a change and gets to the planet before Brian. And with Maya's assistance, they convince Brian that the ghost of his murdered creator is haunting him. They chuck Brian into space, but not so far that they can't take his computer core and repair Alpha's computers. For a moment, it looks like they're going to be compassionate and release Brian or something with his Computer core back to the universe. But then Horny Koenig reappears, and we never actually find out what happens. He just mashes on Alanis like some more. The end. I just want to say, before we proceed on this, this is probably as close to my naked Montague as we're ever gonna get. Because I am insulted and degraded watching this episode from one flipping end to the other. I am not surprised. This is just the most insulting. You know, it, it is, I, I, it is that, it's, it, it is the episode of Man from Atlantis with Pat Morita as the, the imp
1: where oh, you dear. just
0: think, why do they hate the people watching their show? Do they have such contempt for them that, that they are just going to Trot out this stupid, irritating, nine character, and think we can take this even remotely seriously. It, it, it just <clears throat> it boggles my mind. Anyway, normally mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't normally go first, but I just I had to get that one off. What do you think of the episode, Ben? Did you love it?
1: Um, I would have loved it if if we could have done a little bit of a mashup. With some earlier space, nineteen ninety nine, and call it Brian blessed the brain. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that would, would have made it. That would have been an improvement. <clears throat> would have been a better voice or Leo McKern's voice. Anything, or Leo McKern's voice. Any anything than this? I mean, well, the voice was Michael Charvel Martin. He's a Brit, but holy. God, you wouldn't know from listening to this. I mean, this was bad Eastern Seaboard. It, 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 it's a Jerry Lewis quality, but there's something else. He, he was definitely going for some affect that just I made it awful. I thought he was going for a Jerry Lewis app. Hey,
0: lady. Hey?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is.
0: You know, it's just, it's like, you know, nobody even likes it when Jerry Lewis does that except the French. Oh, no,
1: it's, it's insulting.
0: Yeah, I it, know oh,
1: it's it's awful.
0: Yeah. And and to think that <sighs> they're gonna try to convince us that Captain whatever his name was
1: Captain Bernard, Michael,
0: I think. Kripper, yeah, Captain Bernard Michael. Cribbins. Bernard Cribbins <sighs> would program that voice into the brain. I mean, we don't know we really don't know anything about the
1: Programming of the voice. Well, we suppose. don't know anything about
0: it except that he's got that voice and he yeah. picked it up from somewhere. And I find it hard to believe that there were any
1: humans on board that ship that talked that way.
0: So where did I find it make... hard
1: to believe that there be any humans who could tolerate a voice that talked that way. Well, obviously they were in <laughs> fact making another one, uh, which yeah. we find out ah, towards the end. There like, you go, one without the
0: annoying voice. <clears throat> we're going to get that this one. That would be now, the improvement. Brian Blessed's voice. Yeah, that'll be the, that will be the improvement. Um so I'm I, I'm oh. <laughs> oh, but but there are there are a couple things about the episode that I guess are worth discussing if that's hard to believe but There true. are
1: a number of things about this episode that are worth discussing, but I will say that none of them are any good. Oh no, no 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 no. So, um I, first off
0: IT professional speaking to you here. Mm Mm-hmm. Back up your computers before doing a major upgrade? Duh. Just saying.
1: Just saying. I would like – I'd like to think that even back in the the day when this episode was made, that somebody would have been smart enough to at least have said, you know, uh, people who work in IT, you know, although, like I said, it was – quite a bit more primitive than what it is today, but the... They had backups. They had backups, yeah. The thinking was still the same. Yeah. So that... But then, again, it just goes to show that I think these episodes were written by um, Canadian high school students? Well, yeah, well, the people who lost their jobs after Star Lost went off the air. (laughs) Or
0: lost their summer holiday Mm. sideline. Yeah, no, I... I, yeah, it, it's it's um, the com, uh, the computer science in this is
1: there, it's what, computer science. What is computer science? What what really? exactly
0: is this computer core <laughs> that they keep talking about? Let's release the computer core back to Brian at the end, or turn over your computer core, Brian. They never took him off the spaceship. No, he's dangling outside. Did they go out mm-hmm. for an EVA? A core in a computer is a physical thing. Exactly. It's not it's not wireless transfer. And and then they took his core, they fixed their computers and then they're going to give him his core back. So is core a...
1: <sighs> they don't
0: know what core is. And you know, here's another one while I'm while I'm at it. If they could fix their computer, then they could have fixed the computer on deep space probe 6 or whatever it was, star probe mission or whatever it was, and they could have brought that ship back to Alpha yeah, And my understanding is, according to the thing, they had four Swifts on board, which means there were three more Swifts. Don't tell me Alpha couldn't use some spaceships that they know how to fly.
1: Oh, I know. I know. <sighs> I know. <sighs> There's nothing good about this. Nothing. I mean, <laughs> if we're going to start picking on stuff. Okay, um...
0: Unless you have stuff that you'd like to point out as laudable or exemplary in this particular episode. There is
1: nothing, absolutely nothing that is worthwhile regarding (laughs) – of any quality regarding this episode. I mean, my notes are just filled with nothing but – Really? Yeah, a lot of really. (laughs) Uh, Uh, I mean – Okay. Okay, last year it was a black sun. This year it's a black dwarf. Yes, now, did you did you bother to look up a black dwarf? No, I didn't bother. It's
0: actually a real theoretical thing. Not to be confused really? with a black hole, not to be confused with a black sun. It is a theoretical real thing. What it is, it is it is a predicted fragment of a white dwarf that has um, expended all heat and energy. So in other words, at some point, a white dwarf will also go completely dead. And when it is, it will become a black dwarf, completely dead. The problem with this theory is, again, cursory examination,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> the Time anticipated for a star to go through that cycle to White Dwarf and on to Black Dwarf is longer than the known lifetime of the universe so far. Uh Therefore, there should be none in existence yet. Makes sense. But in a quadrillion years or so, there should be some floating around. Okay. So, uh... But I'm sure that's not what they were thinking. They probably were thinking Black Sun because we used it once before. Anything black in space must be a lot of gravity, Why right? Why can't
1: they – but oh my word, what? Is, is there some sort of embargo against Black Hole? I don't know. I, I, I can't say that. You know, And the other thing that really – just really bugged the heck out of me is, okay, um, they're supposedly being pulled off course – off course. So you're hurtling through space and out of control. Uh-huh. So with that, you're trying to tell me that you actually managed to chart a course. I mean, I suppose to some degree you can predict where you're going to be headed. But Yeah, you know, I'm I, I going we're no longer in a straight
0: line. Yeah. What I don't but, understand is why they chose to
1: use off horizon. That and the other thing is uh Granted, if you're, you know, in the void of space, in between any kind of stellar body, then, yeah, you're pretty much going to be going in a, in a direct line. But the moment you start to enter any kind of system, anything – I mean, there's all sorts of things, you know, all sorts of gravitational eddies that will pull you off course. Again, this is not something I would expect the writer, who, by the way, is Jack Ronder, who has mostly done dramas, uh, really is not much of a sci-fi writer – uh, I, I wouldn't expect to ha- have them be educated in. I, I
0: yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. They just they didn't they didn't give it any effort there. They didn't bother with it at all. Um, and yeah, I mean, we know that the moon is hurtling at a very fast
1: speed. Mm-hmm. So Not, fast that obviously there's there's got to be at least some some sort of time dilation going on. But you know as you say
0: if they come into the influence of any celestial body at some distance um mm-hmm. you know i would assume that if they passed within the 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 heliopause of uh, of any solar system at the very least oh, that would be there, enough that they would they would it curve a, a little
1: bit yeah. yeah i mean it's it's not going to be a drastic uh, course correction or or course alteration but yeah they're not going to be going in a straight line anymore Right. Um, you know, we're not saying that they would be trapped
0: in the orbit or anything. They would do just like any other trans, uh, trans solar object. They would just kind of bend a little bit and fly back mm-hmm. off into deep space. I, you know, I want to f- say that it feels like the faster you're moving, the less time gravity would have to affect you. Therefore, the less the, the, the slingshot would be. The less the be, curve. Right. Yes. Maybe. But
1: um, – but there's still going to be something, uh, yeah. To some, I mean, even if it's almost infinitesimal, it will still be there,
0: right? And it, but even if they are traveling at you know a significant portion of the speed of light, obviously, once again, we're to the whole thing about how they could never travel between star systems in any kind of meaningful time frame. Um, but Tony's line cracked me up when they were talking about the you know that we're going off horizon. Like, I'm guessing that means they've what got What horizon? Well, they when they showed the graphic on the screen, it's clear they meant the moon's horizon. So oh, I, think, <laughs> I think what they're talking about, I think, is that they've sighted up some stars. Like, there's a star over the top of that mountain on the moon. Mm-hmm. And so as long as we're traveling in a straight line, that star stays where it is. And... So if we bend off that course up or down, the star moves, and so we're off horizon. But is the moon rotating? Is the, you know, have they found something that they're traveling straight at? Or are they, it's just, it's just a terrible, it's just a terrible way to try to tell us that they've changed course. And how did they know they would changed course in the past now that we it must be star charts. Surely it's star charts. They don't need. They don't need to use the horizon of the moon to plot the stars that they can it's, see. They're not zinging it, by Star Trek style.
1: Well, no, but it, 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 it's like it, it's not like uh, they're, they're on a sailing ship. You know, it, they're not. It sounds like they're trying to be rather nautical about it. Yeah,
0: or poetic. I don't know. Oh, but, but how about stupid? But when they. But remember, computer's not quite working right, so they like we're You're off old. horizon, and so they turn on the screen, and Tony looks at the screen. Oh, that and, was funny. Yes, and his line is, "What is it? Uh, it looks, the, it looks same the same as it, same always, as it
1: always, does. always does." And I'm and my response to that was because it's the same bloody graphic we've been seeing since last year.
0: It's like, what did you expect out there, Tony? <laughs> did you have you memorized those stars yet? Because you're going to be looking at them for a long, long, long time—a time. <laughs> like, long, long time. There. Um, also, space must be full like Swiss cheese of wormholes. It's got to be. Otherwise, how did that star probe get out here to a completely different galaxy? It's a Swift, but it wasn't. It was the Star Probe that the Swift was inside. Oh, that's of. That's right. That's right. That is but true. How did they get? You know, and the Swift they made commented about it being kind of an old ship.
1: So, yeah, because it it launched in ninety six. Yeah, if Which I remember, didn't the, really the seem like right. that would be that
0: old of a ship. But you know, maybe well it's, we've
1: we've heard about. I mean, right from the very almost first first couple of episodes. We've heard about little incidents where ships get – they just get flung off into deep space. So mm-hmm. obviously uh, – Here's another. Well, there's, there's just a lot of spatial phenomenon that allow you to traverse great distances in unbelievably short periods of time. Yeah. Not to mention God. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to him soon. <laughs> oh, yay. I can hardly wait. Oh, that god! Oh no, no! I know where you're going with that one. You do know, don't you? Yeah. Yes, Uh I do know that one. I shoot, I forgot about that one. (laughs)
0: Okay, so um, let's see. Now there is one. Well, okay, let's try to take it in roughly the order of the episode, rather than me jumping around here based on my really haphazard notes. What was the evacuation about? Um, We're about to crash.
1: So So everybody get
0: off the moon. So you can all die there?
1: Yeah, that seemed like a rather weird idea, too.
0: Think about how long it took them to make that survival ship So when they were going through the black sun, Mm -hmm. so they could get four or six people or whatever it is off the moon. It took them hours to prepare that ship with enough supplies for them to think that they could go for a few months. Here, basically, everyone got a fire drill and ran for an eagle, and they took off. everybody knows their number now. I see. Okay. Yeah. So they just all got an eagle's and they flew off. And then if it was a black dwarf sucking the moon in, wouldn't it also suck all the eagles in? It didn't suck all the eagles in with
1: the black sun.
0: Well, they only one eagle and it flew in the opposite
1: direction. And still disappeared. Yeah. But that's a different story.
0: Yes, yes, a vastly superior story. I might add to yes, it was despite <laughs> Compared to this what we've just said. Uh huh. But yeah, I just thought it was odd that Koenig would. I, I feel like it was an excuse to show lots of eagles taking off.
1: That's all it people was. running really. through the
0: thing, uh, Koenig being decisive. Um, I it just it didn't make
1: any sense whatsoever. No, I it. I noticed it too. I thought it seemed very odd, especially considering some of the episodes that we've had last year where – and this is not the the second time where we've seen some kind of at least a proposed evacuation. So this is nothing new, uh, which made this one look very odd. It's like all of a sudden everybody's on board eagles and boom, they're off except for – the the command crew so that felt just really overly convenient for sake of story
0: and then nothing happened of it in fact i don't even recall them bringing everyone back
1: uh they well they sort of did well they must Um, have but well well, they're there they did bring them back but they wanted two of the eagles to do something else you know like going up to the swift and trying to well, I don't... Escort I, it, I guess. Well,
0: but they launched a lot more eagles than that. That was like, after they'd launched the eagles, then Koenig said, get a flight of eagles or get a squadron of eagles or something to go over and, and follow. And that was when four of them went. And then two of them broke up, you know, the whole, the whole thing. So it was like, that's just some of the eagles that are already up there in space, I mm-hmm. think. But <sighs> hopefully it's the ones with
1: lasers on them. Well, we didn't see any evidence of that, did we?
0: No, actually, no. Uh, no weapons firing. There's no violence in this episode.
1: Well, very... unless you call being blasted with uh, UV light in the eyes as violent. I think covering your eyes would be good enough. Yeah, just saying, could be wrong. But it's. But it, I think you know Brian felt like it was a violent act. That's why he kept doing it. Could be. Let's. Like we skip ahead.
0: Yes. Let's talk about Brian.
1: Waka waka waka. No.
0: I I would have preferred Fozzie Bear had been had been the villain. If if <laughs> a stuffed bear had come off that ship and started talking to him, that it would have been worked, more convincing. A lot better. That would have been more convincing yeah. to than uh, uh, uh that 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 thing. I mean the uh, I can't picture why anybody made it. Why did the captain build it?
1: I'm sure the captain was wondering that himself too.
0: Why did he think he needed to be making it? I'm reminded of I'm reminded of Andy the android on Quark. You know, thrown together a bunch of old junk because they were bored, kind of thing.
1: It yeah, it, but that uh, <laughs> anybody who knows Quark knows that that was obviously done for intentional comedy. This. Oh, if, <laughs> if if Jack Ronder was going for intentional comedy, then he he definitely needs to like stop writing. It's funny because
0: um, now you you gave the name of the um, the voice actor that did Brian right, Michael Charvel Martin. You will see it put down elsewhere
1: that Bernard Cribbins did the voice. I did some checking, and Bernard Cribbins. I mean, for a second there, I thought Bernard Cribbins ha- did do the voice because he gets like top billing as guest actors and his on-screen press. Yeah. Yeah. Most of his time is as a corpse. He has like, really, I think only one line. Why did you kill me?
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, if you don't have many guest actors, I guess you get top billing if you're the only one.
1: Yeah. But I would have figured that, um, Michael sharvel Martin, who, I mean, if he does, if he did indeed, if he's the one who voiced Brian, um, he, he, does have a sizable part unfortunately so i would have expected oh, yeah. him to get some kind of billing he doesn't i had to go digging that name out of the out of the woodwork huh cuz i would have
0: i could believe that's bernard cribbins doing that voice that that sounds a bit like some of his comedy voices but i, I again i i it doesn't matter whoever did it committed a crime <laughs> And, and whoever let him do it, committed a, I, Wow. Wow. That's just...
1: Um. Can we talk about the test? Yeah, that's, that where Brian was, that's where I was going to go. Oh, my God. This just made me want to put my head through a wall.
0: You know, the funny thing about this test is... I it's have not a test. <laughs> I have a feeling that... This was the entire point of the episode.
1: That Koenig and Russell are in love with each other. Like, we don't already know. Well, yeah,
0: the writer was given, well,
1: they're in something with each other anyway. Um,
0: yeah, I, I felt that this was supposed to be profound. It was supposed Hardly. to have, Supposed to be, I'm saying, based on the way it was built up, it was given, and and how they did it, and you know, it it feels like you're supposed to be like, well, there you go, but it comes off just as stupid as Koenig's. I don't know how long I can watch Helena dance with that android before I have to kill somebody. Oh God! From from that yeah that other that thing that other horrible episode that I'm not going to try to rethink the name of. And a moment of humanity. One moment of humanity. That was the one. That's it. One moment of insanity.
1: Now... Actually, lots of moments of insanity. But that's another point.
0: What would
1: you do in that
0: situation? I I tried to... I, I actually stopped the DVD, and I sat and thought about that for a few minutes before... You know, given the conditions of the test, there's another human being in the next chamber over, and there's a button in your room, and you can click on that button, and all your air will be given to them.
1: Okay, if, okay, this is a really good question because I, my, one of my biggest arguments is based around the, the test and the conditions of the test. Uh huh. So, what we have here, uh, Koenig and Dr. Russell each placed, in their own airlocks Mm -hmm. and the concept was the concept of this test was if you really love each other one of you will press a button that will divert all your air over to the one that you love or if one one loves the other, other yeah yeah but and my answer to that is um so what happens if they don't love each other I mean, what I mean. Let's assume just just for an argument's sake, and and even if they didn't, it would never come to this because that's. I mean, the test is so horrifyingly flawed. <clears throat> so, but let's assume that Koenig and Dr. Russell truly did not love each other, and this was all about self survival. Um, so neither one of them presses the black button. What's What's Brian going to do then? Let them die. Not going to get any needs feel. Them alive. Right. So obviously. It's not a real test. It's a bluff.
0: Right. For starters, he has that. Well, they don't know what he needs him for. So they don't know. No,
1: but even as I'm watching it, I mean, yeah, I saw this episode ages ago. Right. No, I mean, I really, 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 really long time ago. But even as I'm watching this happen, not remembering how it plays out, even there, I was able to come to the logical conclusion, well, this can't be a real test. I, I, it's a bluff. I, yeah.
0: It's got to be a bluff, um, I think. But okay, I can I can I can try to make an argument to the alternate. He only wanted one person. Koenig came along. So he could if they both got down to zero air, he could simply release one and let the other one die whichever one he felt mostly. So it's a bluff to the point where it's he has to keep bluff. one of them alive so if you were in the chamber and the air is running out you could have a 50 50 shot not knowing why he wants somebody do however knowing that he wanted helena not koenig right that was his you know dr russell why don't you come back and take a look at it thing and koenig was just went along so uh, you know my assumption would be he actually wants dr russell and koenig is expendable now that would be my interpretation but yes i agree walking into that you'd have to think this is This is bound to be a bluff, Mm -hmm. of some kind. But here's what I would do. I mean, and and then let's not let's not talk about whether you love somebody else. Okay, let's just talk about you have another human being. I would give my air. You'd give them your air. Yeah, that's right. When you got when you get down to the last moment, you'd go, well, you know, we're going to die. And if I'm as low as they're low, the little extra air is not going to make any difference anyway. Take my air. So take the air. I would put the button. Instantly, mm-hmm.
1: I, that, yeah. Actually, that that that's, would be I the would
0: the first thing you do: is you walk right in and hit the walk, button. I would go hit the dunk. button exactly, there you go. Exactly,
1: it's exactly. I would have done exactly the same thing. It's like, well, I'm gonna die. Okay, it was a great life. Here, have my air. Boom! Right off the bat.
0: Boom! Your test is invalid. Boom! I've exactly. It's like doesn't prove I love them. Just proves that I don't like your
1: test. Well, <laughs> well, it proves that I'm at least I at least have greater sense of humanity. And yeah. that maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not in love with that individual, but at least I have enough of a. You know,
0: I also I, have I, the I, assumption that it says, <laughs> well, if they're in an air chamber and I'm in an air chamber, and they're both still full, giving them my air isn't going to make much difference. Because, not much difference because at all. it's just you know, unless he actually pumps it out and f- pressurizes the other room. Again, you know, just like equalizes so yeah that part of the test didn't well
1: again and and also had we saw that they were like virtually out of breathable air yeah so what happens if Koenig then pushes his button Doc say for example Dr. Russell couldn't because she yep. passed out so Koenig pushes his button it all goes into uh, Russell's cabin there's not much air there anyway so she might get maybe another two minutes.
0: Then she pushes her button, sends it back over to Koenig, who's dead. Hey, it's a vo- it's a tennis match. Yes, well, just we'll just keep bouncing the air back and forth between the two until until we both run out. Um. Again, it's a flawed test. It's not even a test. And then there's one other part about this test <laughs> that that I seem to recall from being a kid being the part that that stuck in my mind. But now, it just strikes me as so ill. You know, again, it's supposed to mean something, but it really doesn't. Oh, simultaneously, you two really do love each other. Like
1: no, not really. It's it
0: was just. is, Is
1: your measure of love how long you go before you give the air? In fact, if anything, the if, if we're actually going to use that as a measuring device. Then they were almost to the end and they must not love each other. They don't much. care they don't care about each other that much. That's right. Again, pushing the button at the front, that's love. Pushing it at the very end when you're about to die, hmm, whatever. That's like, oh, let me just get this over with. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, I got one gasp left here. You can have it. I'll give
0: you an extra s- second big deal except that i think they knew that as soon as they gave the other the air to the other they would he would let them have all the air because he needed one of them alive so you were really just deciding which one of the two was going to survive and that yeah yeah it was deeply deeply profound test that just proved that he could blackmail them into doing what he wanted, when in fact he probably could have done that with almost 10, any two human beings on Alpha, and it would have worked. It would have worked. It's like, no, don't kill him! For crying out loud! I mean, how many times have they pulled that on the Doctor in Doctor Who? It's like exactly. He's going to go do whatever you tell him to do if you threaten anybody ever right. anywhere because that's what you do when you're the hero.
1: Mm-hmm. And I Koenig mean, the only thing supposed that's to be th- the hero, yeah. I mean, the only thing that's deeply profound on this is uh, what a profoundly stupid episode this, you know, that we've been presented with.
0: So did we think that, did we think that um, Brian, the hyper-intelligent computer, (laughs) chose well when he decided that Helena was the right person to take back to the planet, planet D, and... (laughs) Planet D. D for Ugh. death. <laughs> and D for dumb. Get her to get the fuel. I, You know, I could think of, like, almost anybody else on Alpha might be better choice than the Doctor. Tony. Tony, Doc, Tony, anybody. Anybody. Anybody would have been better, probably. Yeah. But no, let's take the
1: Doctor. Um, yeah. So... I don't know maybe he felt that her uh, her botox face wouldn't crack under the uh, the pressure of that uh, that bad atmosphere. I'm sorry I couldn't help myself. So did did he kill the people
0: who went out there by by intentionally doing something to cause them to go out and die or did he kill them accidentally because he wiped out their computer and so landing on an alien planet as they did they chose not to put on spacesuits for their first excursion when their computers weren't working they made quite a distance they did make quite a distance before they died didn't they yeah and i'm still finding it very 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 hard to believe that you land on an alien planet your computer stops working
1: and you just go out there and without any kind of a spacesuit. All of you. Oh, brilliant. I, right? I mean... Again, it's more of that Planet D for dumb thing.
0: It it really was. And then, so Brian can't... Um, Brian can't uh, roll on bumpy ground, but he's in full control of the computers, right? And the Swift? Right. And the Swift was part of the expedition. I, right, right. Couldn't he have docked with the mothership and then rolled over to get the fuel? He has no arms. That's true. He has no arms.
1: And he even says that.
0: He did say that, too, right? When he said, why don't you go get it? He said, because it's bumpy ground. I can't do it. But that's right. He has no arms, either. He's just a brain. So he, he kills him because he thinks the captain is replacing him. But in fact, maybe the captain is building
1: similar robots for the other three Swifts. It's very possible. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Although, God forbid, we should have more brine-the-brains like that.
0: Okay, Planet D. Deadly atmosphere. Yep. Dead trees. Hmm. Interesting. How did they grow? How did they grow in the first place? Or are we supposed to think that they grew and then then the atmosphere turned deadly?
1: Well, we saw that kind of thing in Star Trek. (sighs) What about those cobwebs oh that was good that was good uh, on a perfectly preserved body no less if we're talking yes. about well there was cobwebs on um, on, on the uh, the expedition team outside yep that was fascinating Where all over the inside from? of the ship and then it was inside the ship and it was all over Commander, uh, Captain Michael who had not experienced any sort of bodily decay if the atmosphere on board the Swift <laughs>
0: was sterile Which it couldn't possibly be. I guess it could be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, maybe it's only been there for a little while. No, but Brian said they've been there for a long time.
1: Yeah. I I mean, even if the air were totally 100% dry, no humidity whatsoever, which is very possible. Then there, there would still be some sort of a mummification process taking place, desiccation at the very least. Yeah, as the water wicked out, nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. I mean, it's like he's perfectly preserved. Amazing. Also, um, oh, and I should point out his flesh tones were lovely. Yeah,
0: I I, I should also point out that uh, when Koenig goes over, and Tony and Mai are there, which I, you know. Kudos to freaking Tony. Finally. Took charge. Took charge. Made a plan. Executed the plan. The plan worked.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, yes, it relied on Maya, but the point is... He still made a decision. He did it. And without going, God, I wish John were here to help me answer this question. I I was thinking I might try this. I don't know. I don't know. I better check with John. No. He did it, and, and good on you, Tony. Yeah. Um... So they get there, they're there, Koenig arrives at the ship, they surprise him, and they come up with this plan by which they're going to go back to the ship, and they're going to appeal to Brian's conscience by presenting him with his dead captain, which luckily Maya can imitate, because... She looked at him. She's seen that before. she you know, she, she's, she got a she's good got that look skill. at him. All she has to do is look at them. Apparently so. And... But how are we going to get you back over there? Oh, I can just ride over in your pocket, Commander. So she transforms into a mouse, and Koenig picks her up. Because she only weighs like a mouse. It only weighs like a mouse. And then he says to Tony, all right, we better find that fuel and get it over there. I'm thinking, you know, Maya didn't actually have to transform until after you were all ready for to suit back up and head over to the... To the other spaceship, did she?
1: I don't think so. It would have made more sense because we know that she only has one hour time limit. So to do it now, before he's even suited up, is a complete waste of time. It's a waste of energy, and it runs the risk of her... um, Bursting his suit from the inside. Yeah, that would have been just so beautiful to watch. So that was...
0: um, yeah, and the whole thing handling get taking her out of the pocket and putting her on the ground. It's like why did he put her on the ground? He could have just put her on the crate next to them or something, but he has to do that gesture where he bends her to put so Brian notices something going on. Oh, I oh, The stupid it burns. Yeah it does. It, it really it really does. And then of course Brian goes out the airlock because he's flustered. He's pushed. The, a little bit. Yeah, he's pushed, too, but, I mean, he's flustered, so they're allowed him to push. And then they open the airlock door, and he's blown out, and then they close the airlock door, and it traps his antenna. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, has been foreshadowed for... Right from the first time right we see very him very roll out. And ultimately, it turned out to be the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, imagine that.
0: But I think if I had seen that happen, I would have just gone, oh, hold on, let me open that door for a second. There you go. Done. Bye-bye done gone then they could have sat around and go well how do we get the memory core back and the answer to that question is ah we use the functioning one in the swift which is the same model computer Mm -hmm. we don't need brian except brian is sort of part of the computer i don't know i don't know what he's supposed to be i'm not sure either did they cut a piece of the computer (laughs) out put a head on it call it brian and then tuck it back in there or is it an Adjunct piece of equipment that was built,
1: you know, and the other thing is that even though he's just a little bit out there um considering that he is i mean that he controls the ship <clears throat> excuse me uh when they kick him out and he's caught there by his antenna, he's still within like more than just vicinity of the ship, he's like you know pretty much within you know banging distance of it in physical contact, yeah. Right, so wouldn't he still be linked to the ship's
0: computer? No I think yes I don't know how long he would stay linked to the ship's computer if they let him spin out So I don't no. know that he could have gotten himself back in without arms The best he no, could have done is kill still everyone
1: No, but he can still control the ship Yeah And instead he just goes into panic mode Yeah Yeah
0: 1,150 days what were wow, we you in know, the what, last one?
1: Well, it was six hundred something, so I was like, Oh wow, you just spent almost three hundred mm. days, almost a year, and managed to just go through space without any incident. How nice. Perhaps or maybe yeah. who knows? <laughs> or maybe we've seen these things all out of bloody order. Yeah, we've seen we've been this far before,
0: even in first series, I think.
1: Yeah. It would have been well into the thousands before you know before the this uh, the series rebooted to year two. So
0: I'm picturing, well, back to stupid computer science. Their process at the beginning of this episode was to take all of their logs and observations and experiences that they've had from their 1150 days in space and put them into the computer and update it so that it can better interpret what's going on around them, which let's just say, let's say that's a good idea.
1: Yeah, I tell you, it, it it made my eyes roll so much that it caused my head to hurt. Idea. Um, is it a good idea to wait four years before you do it? Someone just came up with that idea the other day, you know. And so, now that and now that Kano seems to be gone, I wonder
0: like, where wait a minute. Went. Well, if we just take all of the typewritten logs that Helena wrote up and we scan them and then put them on punch cards, and then feed them into the computer. In the future, it will know how to deal with um, the species we've seen in the past. I don't know. I, you know, more da- to me, more data better, right? So it makes mm-hmm. sense that if, they, if they're collecting all this information as they're going through space, they should be putting it in the computer so that the computer can use it to make decisions. The fact that they've waited this long to do it just boggles my mind. It's like, oh, yeah, we should do this. And we shouldn't back it up first because
1: mm-hmm.
0: we don't have enough tapes. We don't have enough punch cards.
1: To, well, are you, sp- you are on the moon. You do have limited resources. That's true. That's true. Um, Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, Horny Koenig. <sighs> Helena takes a dig at him. At the beginning of the episode, right? That uh, you know, we've all the sciencey types have been all very busy, but the non y types get some time off. To which Koenig comes up and starts going, "Yeah, but I never get time off when you've got time off." <laughs> it's like I, I, I can't stand it anymore. It's been like a month, and mm-hmm. so. I mean, he's mm. just literally, it's practically like practically drooling. Yeah, in his in his desperation for for Helena. And it's not only is it unseemly and unprofessional but oh I hate this aspect. I this this whole Koenig Russell romance is so Well, especially, unbelievable. The way they, especially the way
1: they parade it. Now, if we were to see something along those lines, uh behind closed doors, that's one thing. But and you know and I don't I don't necessarily have a problem with excuse me, how everybody on Moonbase understands that there's some kind of relationship that has kind of grown up between these two. Mom and Pop. But that type of uh, behavior is way beyond the pale. But then, let's just think about everything we've seen in this show so far. And all I can say is, yep, that's just part of the normal.
0: And uh, and then so at the Uh end of the episode where they're talking about what to do about Brian, because they've taken his computer core. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to get the twitch out of my eye before I can continue <laughs> on.
1: <sighs> <Pooza. laughs> um I know where you're going with this. And uh, it, it, yeah, it made me flinch.
0: And so they get there and they say, well, you know, maybe we could do something about it. and, and, and the one you're flinching, I'll come back to in a second. We could program it with our morality, and yes, we, uh-huh, could, give it, we uh-huh, could give it the uh-huh. Ten Commandments. We'll That's what I flinched. We'll come back to that one. We could give it the Ten Commandments. And then, yeah, and then, alright, go ahead and re-upload its, or give it back its core, Maya. And he doesn't, she doesn't even get the buttons going, and she, he's already on Helena. Boy, I wonder if we can get some time off together now. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, well we've used up all our time off now, John, for the links two months, so we're gonna think <sighs> like, hey, we don't even we don't get proper closure on Brian. No. He just like tells he just tells Maya, all right, go ahead and send him his core back. We never decide if they're gonna reprogram it. We never decide if they're gonna program the Ten Commandments in it, we never decide if they're gonna, you know, take his personality out or anything of that nature all we get is, yeah, go ahead and do it. Sex, please, Dr. Russell, I need it now. Yes. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like,
1: it, hey, it's, what Koenig wants, Koenig gets. He is the commander. He is the commander, after all. He is the commander. And, ra- you know, RHIP rank has its privileges.
0: Uh, yeah. It's wink, good wink, to nudge, be. nudge, it's say no more. It's good to be the commander. Yes.
1: So, yes, the
0: Ten Commandments for a oh, robot. Oh, God. We're going Why to do they reprogram- have to say that? We're gonna reprogram him for the Ten Commandments. You know what I find is it's very funny, so and, and and you know where this is going to. This is this is one of those this is one of those things. The Ten Commandments in in many literary, television, movie situations, is used as shorthand for these are
1: our morals. Right. And that that's exactly right. It's, and it's shorthand. Because it is shorthand. That is precisely right.
0: One of the exercises that, that we do sometimes at Camp Quest is we, you know, sit the kids down and say, if you were starting your own civilization right now and you were going to come up with the 10 basic rules, what would they be? And they come up with some freaking amazing ones. Mm-hmm. Tolerance, justice. You know, kindness, kind, broad-based. You know, you know. Here are the ten rules: don't kill people, don't you know, don't infringe their rights. Stuff. You come up with these really awesome, thoughtful. You know, give it some thought. Sometimes the kids have to think really hard about it, because you know, like, wow, if I was going to consent condense it down into to ten, what what would I say? And and you know, just amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, but as long as we know that Brian shall not covet his neighbor's house, wife, or property, we're okay, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, some of the others are are, are perhaps oh, yeah, even less yeah, like, relevant yeah. to to well, uh, a robot.
1: Yeah, like taking the Lord's name in vain, something like that. You know. Yeah,
0: and and the Sabbath, mm-hmm. keeping the Sabbath. I mean, it's like you know, it's like I I yeah, Koenig just says that it's such an offhand. It's like, well, you know, give him the Ten Commandments, we'll be good. Like, no, you're no, not. No, 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 no. In fact, let's see. Uh, well, he shouldn't murder. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, he won't commit adultery. Well, there's one we don't have to worry about. He hasn't got any arms, legs, or adulterous appendages.
1: I don't know about that antenna, though.
0: <clears throat> Might use it as a whip for some kinky stuff, but I, I don't know. Um, oh, Brian, the bondage brain. Yay. <clears throat> It just occurred to me that thou shalt not steal and covet thy neighbor's house, I guess, or property. That's, yeah, all right. Those are kind of two facets of the same thing, aren't they?
1: <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, they are. So, again, just not thinking. Not thinking. It's uh, No, again, th- what we have here is like we've seen with so many episodes of the show, especially in this second year, is that... The writers, the, the writer uh, for this episode and past writers, they take shortcuts. Just simple little things because we come back to something that I've been saying, that I've been screaming about for a long time. And that is a lot of people seem to think that in that time when these shows were being produced, that science fiction fans were drooling geeks who would, you know, take anything so long as it was set in space and not give them any kind of credit for critical thinking at age 11 i took it you know i did i did i mean i took it but that's only because you know and here, interesting you should say that um my best friend at the time still still a good friend to this day um i was watching this episode with him the last time i saw this which was also the first time that i saw this and he and i both we both enjoyed it. And now I know that if my friend Bill were to watch this episode today, he would do nothing but scream at the television at mm-hmm. how unbelievably idiotic the story is. Yeah. So are we being overly harsh because we're just older and wiser? Partially, yes. Or or are we? are we... I don't want to say that we
0: are rich with material... Now? Or
1: are we just wise enough to realize crap when we see it? Yeah, I. I it's bad, you know. I, um, I give you another example
0: uh, of of one of these ones. So you remember Land of the Lost?
1: Oh hell yeah, Irwin Allen. Yes, no, I hated no. that shit. No, no, no. You're thinking Land oh, of no, the Lost. Oh, I'm to You're right, Land of the Lost. The, of the original. Lost. The original. That's oh yeah, not, I remember. Not the yeah, remakes. No, it was uh uh. uh oh, Sid and Marty shoot. Croft. Sid, Sid and Marty
0: Croft, that's right, yes. Sid and Marty Croft. Um, and absolutely loved that show as a kid. Uh-huh. I mean, dinosaurs
1: for crap. It had dinosaurs, yeah. please.
0: And watched it many years later as an adult. And suddenly the kids in it are annoying. Mm uh-huh. hmm. Instead of being like, oh, kids in the show are the stars, kind of thing. Kids in the noise. No, well, because you identified with those kids back then. Right? So that's one differential. But there's still quite a few of them that have kind of weighty science fiction uh, stuff behind them, buried pretty deep. But as they progressed along, like by the time you reach the third season, it's so bad. As it's like they just—it's exactly what they did here with Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. They went from something that was flawed but had some promise, and then they just went to—we need wacky, wacky stuff to show how wild and crazy. I do not remember any differential in quality or enjoyment of that show as a kid, but it just—you know—now you watch it, it just barrels down to the bottom. Over and Niagara I rem- fall. yeah,
1: <clears throat> and I remember um, when watching Space nineteen ninety nine. Me, I found myself really digging season two because it didn't feel sterile. I felt the action was more streamlined. The episodes made a heck of a lot more sense. Maya was amazing. The whole idea of a shape shifting alien, and you know characters like Brian the Brain. Oh man, what a laugh! That guy's that computer is funny. Things like that. I look at it today and it's like. Oh man, people should have been just people should have been, you know, lined up against the wall and shot for stuff like this.
0: Yeah, Freiburger's vision of of the change, I, there are
1: some of the things that he
0: did, some of the things that he did on paper sound good. Humanizing Koenig and Russell, you know, humanizing the people.
1: They were all pretty Pretty sterile people. Well, they were sterile in a rather sterile environment, and you know, oddly enough, I think it kind of worked. Especially given it
0: doesn't doesn't hurt
1: for your people to be people. I I suppose not, but the whole point of that original series—I mean, you know, season one—is, and I guess this was um, uh, Jerry's uh, assertion: you know, space is weird, right? So it it was weird and have people who are. Yeah, but it wasn't necessarily um, human character driven. Although episodes like Black Sun certainly um, kind of changed that focus a little bit because they're, I mean, take away God, you know, and it's it's all about all about the people on Alpha, no mm-hmm. aliens whatsoever. Um, but it didn't it, it didn't necessarily bother me that they were as. And it's not that they were two dimensional. The word, the use of the word "sterile" is very, very appropriate. I mean, they were like void of any kind of um, heart, shall we say? That heart is
0: good. They just, when you're watching these people, you just don't can't can't identify with them. Can't take them to heart. Whereas, you know, Alan Carter in this year is supposed to be.
1: Oh, he's a lot nicer. He's not the angry Aussie anymore. Right, you'd 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 want to spend some time with Alan Carter, right? Yeah, he's, Koenig he's a and fine Russell. Guy.
0: Obviously, they wanted to build up that romance a little bit. But the problem with it is, is that it's so poorly executed. Yeah, especially it, it, for a couple so, that were married. Yeah, they just don't they don't work. And and Tony and Maya's relationship is so. It
1: That's high another school. one. That's, well, it's yes. Yes, Tony absolutely. Is, Tony's got a very crush on school. his
0: got a crush on her and he's not gonna you know, he's gonna push her away because, because that's he doesn't what not know That's what how, young
1: boy That's what high school boys do. That's right. They that's push they the thing they, away that, that you know I'm attracted to not because to they're trying to, but because they just simply
0: don't know what they to do They don't know how to write. They don't know what to do with them. They don't know what to do with them. I, I I absolutely can remember doing that in high school to a girl I thought was really quite, and you know I can Ugh. look back on it now and I just cringe. But it's
1: exactly like what hey, Tony does. A I, lot of times I, I did the same thing with guys that I was into. But same thing, yeah. It's like, oh my god, was I just that thick? So of course I look to this now and and say, you know, Jack Ronder, you're supposed to be an adult. So why not write adult characters? But this has been true throughout the
0: season for Tony and Maya.
1: That's true. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I'm, I'm I, guess, not, I
0: guess maybe that's in the writer's Bible. Who knows if
1: they're, yeah. even, if they even had one.
0: You know, they're just, they're just playing these characters at, at a different level. And maybe it was, you know, again, if you're targeting for a teenage audience, maybe Tony and Maya's, I felt Tony and Maya's were more genuine at that age, you know? Yeah. Koenig and Russell were mom and pop.
1: Well and, and and I knew that they were married at the time, so I just kind of went, Eh, yeah, whatever. I mean, oddly enough, knowing that they were married actually took some believability out of it. I, I I know that sounds weird, but it did. Because it almost felt expected. But with Tony and Mai, it felt like that was something that needed to be earned. And the characters were at you know, at a juvenile level, were attempting to earn it with each other. Yeah, you know,
0: I think they were going with playful, but a lot of times what they ended up doing was just kind of getting it was Sophomoric. Yeah, sophomoric, it was sophomoric. Perfect. And then that you mention it, I think I was a sophomore when I was um, making that horrifically stupid blunder. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so I don't have anything else to say about this. Just dreadful episode except couldn't they have just yanked brian's antenna off no
1: kidding like, obviously oops. he Blank. i mean nope. he, it he was very sensitive to it so why not do that stand on it something
0: i'm gonna I mean, stomp it's... on your tail if you uh, if you ultraviolet us again
1: no oh, no kidding i mean i found this thing that the word that came to my mind is, is after i watched it and i'm trying to write my my little summation of it and all i could come up with is cringeworthy yeah. I mean Brian is a joke. Um as a computer he's a total joke. Uh even more so as the episode's antagonist. Uh, and you know even even the appearance was just stupid. Yep. 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 Yep.
0: And the fact that you know he they got him on the Swift and then they Walked him all the way to the mo- the command center, and then he just go okay, again, go back now. It's like, I, none of this made any sense in this episode. It, it just nothing, didn't make any nothing made any sense. But you know, we got to explore the depth of Koenig and Russell. I and I really do. I feel like that's probably the end of this episode. In the end, the goal was to do something to explore how. Strongly, Koenig and Russell feel about each other, except oh. that it's just so badly done.
1: Well, I hate it when you try to shoehorn a single concept like that into an episode. Uh, it, that that will never come off well.
0: But are you saying me personally, or are you talking about the writer? The writer. <laughs> okay. Because I thought you my, my analysis Oh, no,
1: no, 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 no. no, no. I mean, I, I think you're right. I can't think of any other reason why we would have something like this. And if that's the case, then, again, it's, it's, it's that square peg into the round hole concept.
0: So so here's, here is the bad news, then.
1: Oh, what?
0: <laughs> you know, assuming that, that the thematic piece that we were supposed to take up from this episode was the depth of the love between Koenig and Dr. Russell, um, and, of course, the fact that they believe their morality comes from the Ten Commandments— Next episode, Oh my New God. Adam, Adam, New, New Eve. New Adam, New
1: Eve. Oy
0: <laughs> So that's your assignment, folks, uh, for the next episode of Space 1999.
1: Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, it was agony. An experience.
0: It was an experience. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol.
1: Cheers!
0: Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us, please consider becoming our sponsor at patreoncom patrol We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website FusionPatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol, or just send us an email at feedback@FusionPatrol.com. At please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by
1: Amber Wolf. Hi lady! Hi lady! Cheers! Cheers.